0: This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. The Toronto Symphony Orchestra's decision to drop its piano soloist Valentina Lisitsa after discovering her controversial Twitter comments about Ukrainians and other ethnic groups has divided public opinion. Some classical music fans believe that political views should never matter to what happens on stage. Others say that buying a ticket for a politically outspoken artist means you're endorsing their views. And there are those who say that any way you slice it, arts groups can easily end up with a PR disaster on their hands. Joining us to talk about this are Anne Majette, the classical music critic of The Washington Post, and Peter Himmler, the head of Flatiron Communications, a communications firm that advises clients on crisis management. Anne, what do you think of the Toronto Symphony's approach to Valentina Lisitsa's
1: tweets? It's such a complicated question. But I think that principally the Toronto Symphony handled it poorly in that they didn't present it properly to the public. I've read a lot in the last couple of days on this topic, but I have not seen anybody mention what to me is the most obvious parallel. In 2014, a year ago, Opera Australia dismissed a Georgian soprano named Tamar Iveri because a long homophobic rant was found on her Facebook page. Opera Australia was quite clear about the nature of the homophobia. And although it's almost exactly the same case as far as free speech and your own opinions, oddly enough, Ms. Iveri did not find any supporters or very few supporters. In this case, the Toronto Symphony sort of decorously cited distasteful tweets. I forget the exact language they used. And Lizitza, who is a very savvy social media person, went on the warpath and said free speech. Now, Arguably, Iveri could have done the same thing, but because the Toronto Symphony didn't come right out as Opera Australia did and cite the tweets they were talking about, and because Lizitza was able to marshal opinion on her side, I think this has developed into a kind of cause celebre, and I think that a lot of people are jumping to conclusions about what happened based on inadequate information, which is not to say it's an easy question, but I think it's also – a great public relations lesson in the age of social media.
2: I mean, I agree with Ann. It's a very complex issue. And there isn't one answer to, to put the problem to bed. But you're right. I don't know. I, I think his first statements weren't exactly uh, as definitive and didn't get to the, the heart of the matter. It's funny. You, you talked about a couple of the instances that you thought were similar. I, I was thinking about Justine Sacco, for example, who was the executive at IAC Corp who sent out an ill-fated or an ill-conceived tweet just before she got on a flight to South Africa. And it was racist and it was terrible. And it it caused her to lose her job. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other end was the whole crisis with Sony pictures and the interview. So here... The movie. The 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 interview. Yeah. Uh, The movie, the interview. About the North Korean, Right. And they were getting a lot of... Their emails were being released. It was very embarrassing. So they decided to pull the movie. Now, this got all the free speech advocates up in arms... And that's sort of what happened here. She Some say that Amy Pascal knee-jerked. Some say that Mr. Mellon's in a Toronto Symphony Orchestra knee-jerked. And, and there are some parallels there in terms of free speech, the, I think.
0: Amy Pascal of
1: Sony. I think the Toronto Symphony did put a lot of thought into this, and I think that... They were also now. I did interview Mr. Melanson, which I've quoted in the blog that I've posted. Jeff Melanson, of the CEO of the Toronto Symphony, said that a lot of thought had gone into this, but they also had wanted to give the artist a way out, um, not anticipating that she would go nuclear on them. You know, she immediately jumped to social media and got everybody on her side. You know, which I mean, Um, which is savvy of her. I can't quite believe that the Toronto Symphony would have
0: expected this to die quietly with an artist like Valentino Lucica, who has this huge Twitter following and who tweets up a storm. The Toronto Symphony also
2: has a very large Twitter following, 14,000, 14, followers, and there was not one tweet from them bringing up this issue. Whereas on their Facebook page, they did post something. And then all of a sudden, you see a lot of what we call trolls, um, making comments about the Toronto Symphony's Facebook post. Now, should they have tweeted it? Um, I think they should. I think they should be upfront, and they should they should continually communicate their point of view. Yes, that's that's one of the rules of thumbs in crisis communication. Get the facts out
0: there. Get your point out there, etc. So, Peter, if the Toronto Symphony had come to you and said, "We've got this very outspoken artist with," very controversial issues, and we want to cancel her contract, what would you have advised them to do?
2: It's funny. Five years ago, before the advent of social media, really, and the ability for people to go out and and reach audiences, this it was a cut and dry case. that It was in the news media, that it died, etc. Today when you have someone like that with a big social following, it's more of a challenge to put the crisis to bed quickly, which is the goal of any organization. Um, I, I am not at the table with Mr. Melanson, so I don't know what the facts were at the time, and I, I don't want to be a Monday morning quarterback. There are too many PR people that, that are, you know. But I, I think it's ironic that this artist who is pro-Russian and is advocating for the the overthrow of Ukraine, or whatever it is, is is talking about free speech when she she's advocating for a country that is antithetical to free speech. And and keep in mind, you've got to understand that, that Vladimir Putin has people that he pays to go out and comment and bolster the uh the posts of those that are in his court.
0: So you're suggesting that a it, lot of her supporters might be or some of her supporters might be I'm not I believe they are. I wrote a piece
2: about it. I write for Forbes as well on PR media and technology. And um, I wrote a piece about how he hires thousands of people to and pays them to go out and troll these sites to look for stuff that's anti-Russian and comment and balance it. And that didn't exist five, 10 years ago, that phenomenon.
0: Well, that brings up an interesting question. And I was going to ask you whether you think that Lisitsa was fired because she was on the, quote, wrong side politically. We've got artists like Iván Fischer and Andrea Schiff who are called brave because they're speaking out against Hungary's right-wing government.
1: No, abs- it's absolutely not. And Melanson is very clear about that, and rightly so. He said the issue is not your political persuasion one bit. The issue is choosing to use your public platform to make inflammatory and defamatory comments about other people, to make racist comments, to make questionable comments. And the issue was solely the nature of the Twitter feed. Obviously, the the amusing thing is when you read the supporters of Lizitsa, many people or some people seem to believe that she's on the side of the Ukraine, the side that we in the West (laughs) tend to think of as the good guys. Um, There are people who really don't understand quite what's going on here. But I would get back to how the symphony handled it for a minute, because I think that one of the great mistakes that classical music makes, um, big organizations tend to be a little bit afraid of the social media, and so they pull back from it. And um, transparency is always a really good thing when you're dealing with this kind of flap because the whole thing about social media is it gives personal access and if people feel heard and responded to they're immediately going to diffuse and I think classical music in particular hasn't quite caught on to that I was amused to read one article that said they hadn't been able to reach Lizitza for comment and when I went on the (laughs) web to try to find Lizitza I discovered if you try to reach her by the traditional avenues you've got to go through her manager and you've got to go through whatever and I could just imagine calling her manager right now I'm sure the manager was like don't touch me (laughs) So I tweeted her, and I got an answer right back. And that's how you have to deal in social media age. And then it's transparent, and it's right out there. you
0: absolutely right. um, And
1: I believe the symphony would have helped its cause a lot by going to its supporters, even starting the debate on Twitter itself. I mean, people are scared to do that. But that's how you get people on your side.
2: Right. A lot of these big institutions have what we call owned channels. They have Facebook. They've got Pinterest pages. They've got Twitter feeds. And they can use those and can control those. Now, granted, yes – Facebook allows comments, and you can't control that. To, the, to But you're right. I think they could have been more aggressive in, in using their own, quote-unquote, owned social channels to get their point of view out. And to add to your earlier point, in looking at some of the stories that resulted, I still don't know how heinous the tweets were that were coming from this woman who, by the way, tweets under a pseudonym, not even under her own name. Well, They're no, that's heinous. not quite
1: fair. No, that's they're pretty heinous, but that's not fair because the Twitter handle is Valizitsa. The name of the Twitter account is something else, but if you tweet, oh, she has her at, name on her. Twitter. It's okay. at Valizitsa. Her name's right there. Okay, um, so, and it's very mixed between music and Ukraine. Like she does a lot of musical posts on it too. It's not a dedicated anti-Ukraine channel. But um, one example that she herself gave, um, which is amusing and underlines the gray area ness of all of this, is. Um, the magazine Charlie Hebdo, and, you know, after the horrible massacre in Paris, we all came out with just suis Charlie. And then everybody began realizing that Charlie Hebdo's cartoons were really a gray area and were a little bit offensive. And um, there's one tweet in particular where Lizitza posted about a New York Times article showing what happens when the media gets their news out of someone's sphincter. And along with that, she tweeted a cartoon which showed a chain of men all sucking each other's rear ends, to put it politely. Mm. And each man was labeled with the name of a news organization. Um, And that tweet was one of the ones that people have cited as how disgusting, you know, Lizitza is. Well, it was, in fact, a Charlie Hebdo cartoon. And um, she herself was a little amused at the uh, irony that everybody is supporting Charlie Hebdo's right to free speech. But here is an example of her lack of right to free speech. And I mean, for this, you have to remember that we're not only talking about a free speech issue, we're talking about a decorum issue. I mean, anybody has the right to say whatever they want. And you can definitely support whatever cause you want, whether I want you to do it in my living room, whether I want to have dinner with you, whether I care to hear what you have to say about music. That's my choice. And um, the symphony is walking in this gray area. They're not trying to prescribe her. They're just trying to figure out whether they want to associate with her. <laughs>
2: You're right. It's it's a gray area. You know, what responsibility does a, does an institution have well, if that they're hosting, is, you know? That
0: is my question now. Can or should an arts organization ever consider an artist's politics or Twitter feed when they engage them?
1: Don't use politics and Twitter feed interchangeably. <laughs> right. Well, in this I case, it's, that... it sort of is because
0: she does both. Well,
2: I think it reflects she... on the brand, on their brand. And I think they have the right to, just as IAC had the right to let go uh Justine Sacco when she did that very racially insensitive tweet.
1: It's true that Justine Sacco's tweet was only one. And with Lizitza, you have a whole bunch of them. Right. Even more <laughs> reason. The, you know, should they have done some more due diligence? Maybe. If they, or if should
0: they'd... this be a question when you hire an artist? Do you hire them because, you know? I, I, listen. Well,
1: artists have been fighting with this about things more than Twitter feed. I mean, the Twitter feed gets into more how you dress, how you, you know, there have been plenty of, of provocateur artists who have made their provocation into sort of a part of who they are and have had to break through the classical barrier that way. So it's certainly nothing new for a classical institution to consider extracurricular things like dress and deportment. But this is this is one more facet of that decision, I think, of what you want in the concert hall and what it means to get you know, younger artists to younger audiences and, in the, in and the, all of that.
2: In the business world, and I've done a lot of work in the Cola Wars and the Burger Wars and the Sneaker Wars, but Pepsi was a client for a while, and they would hire celebrities as spokespeople. And there were a number of celebrities that, after doing some due diligence, they wound up not bringing on to do commercials for them, they decided. So...
0: Um, But that's a different case. That's where you're having a spokesperson, whereas an artist is an artist who's performing with your symphony. But they're aligned with the institution in a way. And
1: that's, you know. It is a fine line because in a way that that's the face of the symphony that week. You know, your soloist is certainly your face that week in terms of marketing. That's true. She's Um, on the posters. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you are hiring somebody as an ambassador with the assumption that your organization is aligned with what they represent and that you're proud and happy to stand up there with them. And I don't think it's out of place. I mean, yes, you don't hire her in the first place if it's a problem. But uh, Uh, last year... At just
0: about this time, Ukrainians were protesting Carnegie Hall because they wanted them to pull Valery Gergiev's appearance because of his support of Vladimir Putin. And when we asked Carnegie Hall about that, they said, we respect the right of artists to express their personal opinions. Ultimately, we feel that it should be left to concertgoers to decide which
1: artists they want to hear. What do you say to that? Is, it's a different case because you haven't got Putin on a Twitter feed showing pictures of pig testicles and saying this is the face of the Ukrainian leadership. I don't think what Lysitsa does is actionable, but I can understand somebody not wanting the pig testicles associated with their uh, with their organization.
2: I think the other – Big trend here, and the other important point that I I wanted to make from a PR perspective is: it used to be where an institution like that could put out some news, and they would they would rule the day. Whereas now, individuals have the ability to counter that. I remember um, there was a story in the in the New York Times Mm -hmm. on Mark Cuban, the the owner of the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, and he was a very negative story. And I sent him a note. I said, you know, you should you should refute this. And instead of that, he went to his blog and put a point, it was an interview done by email, he put a point-by-point point retraction to that story, and it got picked up. Walmart just did the same thing with another negative New York Times story on their employee practices. So you have the ability for individuals to have this clout and to be able to catch on and have their message amplified. I still believe that Lazitsa's message was amplified maybe through true believers but also through um, artificial means through the Russian trolls that exist today.
0: In fact, the Toronto Star ran an editorial that suggested that Lisitsa's enemies risk turning her into a martyr for artistic freedom. Right. Is there anything the orchestra can do now to get the high ground?
2: The irony of it all.
1: It's really a very sad situation for the orchestra because I question how well-informed some of these statements are, and I I support Lisitz's right to write whatever she wants on her wall. Um, I don't think the orchestra was trying to suppress that.
2: I'm surprised you haven't mentioned uh, the replacement or the temporary replacement for that piece, Stuart Goodyear, because he came out, I think ostensibly, on the side of the Toronto Symphony, saying, because he was attacked, he yeah. came in as a replacement, and all of a sudden, all of Letizia's supporters attacked him for coming in and, and saving the day. And then he actually they pulled the whole piece all together. I mean, he he made a, a few statements, and I thought, you know, he was uh, believable and a good well, third party. He you was
0: know. caught in the crossfire because right. they didn't tell him why. But he, he was. didn't
2: have he had some disparaging th- things to say about the artist he replaced on the program.
0: And. You know, you could say what you will about Valentina Lysica, she is not leaving Toronto quietly. No. <laughs> uh, she's been trying to perform there, although no venue seems to be giving her uh, space to perform.
1: Who it you... will be interesting to see how this affects her career moving forward. I mean, Lysica used uh, social media to develop a career, and so From in that sense... She... From the beginning, and so her relationship to these institutions is a little different because you could argue she doesn't need them quite as much. Um, certainly not to sell albums, and she has passionate fans who are not regular concert goers or regular subscribers in the way that you know the traditional concert subscriber is. So she can she could conceivably just continue playing this, but I wonder if there are orchestras who would now be a little leery of touching the whole thing or not. So who do you think is
0: ultimately going to be the winner or the loser in all of this? I think she'll
2: win with her supporters, and I'm hoping that uh, the Toronto Symphony is more aggressive in in standing up for what it believes. I mean, Jeff Mellinson said this is not about a a political perspective or persuasion. This is about a very offensive and intolerant comments about people. And I think that's a very powerful statement.
0: Well, thank you both very much for your insights on this. We've been speaking with Washington Post classical music critic Anne Majette and Peter Himmler, the head of Flatiron Communications. This has been Conducting Business. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.